Thank you for checking out our podcast here at Eastern Assembly of God Church in Baltimore, Maryland. If you'd like more information about our church, you can find us at www.easternassembly.org. Well, go ahead and pull out your notes this morning. Um, I am in between series. We're going to begin next week a summer series on the book of Acts called The Church Defined. I'm excited about that. But I've had this message stirring in my heart for a while, waiting for the right opportunity, and I felt like today was the day. And this morning, if you could bring up uh, my PowerPoint, if you would, please. This morning, we're going to talk about a biblical view on sexuality and gender. And as I approached this message, I was looking for some other pastors who had already breached this subject looking for some information, and I wanted to give credit to a couple pastors whose messages I listened to that I felt were insightful and helped me. Pastor John Lindell of James River Church, Pastor Matt Ward of Charleston Church, I both appreciated their message and gleaned from them. How many of you know sexuality and gender are really in many ways at the forefront of the news these days? Is that not true, right? And When it comes to a controversial subject, in other words, I might ask you your feeling, you might say one thing, someone else might say something, you know, who ultimately gets to decide what is right and what is wrong? Is that in the hands of man or is that in the hands of God? And we believe God has revealed his will through his word and if you say, well, the Bible's outdated, quite obviously you've never read much of it, Because the Bible is relevant to all people at all times. It transcends culture. Come on, somebody. Can you say amen? Amen. And let me begin this message today by talking about what the devil is up to in making sex and gender such a hot topic. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 2.11, I don't want Satan to outwit us after all, we are not ignorant about Satan's scheming. And there's, there's nothing new under the sun when it comes to Satan's schemes, but he will revive different tactics at different times. And the best way to help, help me help you understand that is to look at something that happened in the book of Daniel. We just finished up Daniel on Wednesday night. And at the beginning of the book of Daniel, you will find that the Babylonians captured Jerusalem and took with them many of the Jews living in Babylon, and some of the young men, they wanted to make Babylonian wise men. But in order to do that, listen, they really were out to change their identity. We don't know this for certain, but most likely Daniel was castrated so that he would no longer be attracted to women. He was trained for three years in Babylonian ways, and even given a new Babylonian name, Belteshazzar, all an attempt to remove his Jewishness from him and make him fully Babylonian. Because as a Jew, he had a right to a covenant relationship with God. As a Babylonian worshiping Babylonian gods, he would be lost. Now, thank God in Daniel's case, in spite of them trying to squeeze his identity out of him, he hung hung on to it. Come on, somebody. And the book of Daniel is really about a man of God holding on to his covenant relationship to God in a very hostile environment. And who won that battle? Somebody say Daniel. So what the devil is up to in our day 
is he is attempting to change the identity of this younger generation and put a label on them that they will identify with and will make it hard for them to peel that label off and identify as a child of God. I'm telling you, it's what he's up to, all right? And can I, just, can I just tell you this morning, this is for all of us. You are not who you think you are. You are not who you feel you are. Ultimately, you are who God says that you are. God has the final say. Come on, somebody. He, he created you. He knows you. And his label on you is the right label. And ultimately, that label is child of the living God. Can you say amen? Listen, just make this practical. Like, this is our wonderful little shit zoo um, named Gizmo. This is our family dog, all right? This is, that's the famous shit zoo smile. He probably was wanting a piece of chicken off my plate when I took that picture, all right? Listen. If Gizmo could talk and he were to say to me one day, look, I really think I'm a beagle. I, I, I feel like I think like a beagle. I'm, I'm trying to bark like a beagle. Look, I could, I'd say to Gizmo, look, you can think whatever you want to think. But you're a shih tzu. It's who you are. It, 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 I know I'm your owner, okay? But how much more does the God who created you know who you are? Can you say Amen. What the devil is up to at this hour is he is creating confusion in the minds of children. Seeds are being planted that say, you, not, you might not be who you think you are. Matter of fact, you have 72 pronouns that you're free to use to define your sexuality and gender. If you don't think the devil is serious about this, then why are schools so reluctant to tell you the curriculum they're using, even in kindergarten and first grade? Come on. Isn't it sad, listen, that the governor of Florida makes a bill saying, I don't think we should push sexuality and gender issues on kindergarten, first, second, and third graders. Let's just back off on that and leave that to the parents to decide. Okay, they got, he got incredible kickback. Why? Because the devil doesn't want you messing with his plan. He's very serious about that. Are you listening? Amen. He doesn't want you resisting his plan. Why are children's television shows? We're talking about uh, uh, the, the seriousness of this, this hour. Why are children's television shows being inundated with people who have various sexual identities? There are now over 70 children's programs that include 270 characters that have a variety of transgender identities Disney has made it plain they are fully on that bandwagon. Toy makers are jumping on board. It's no longer Mr. Potato Head. Now it's just Potato Head. Think about it. And mom and dad, I'll get into this more towards the end of the message. If you don't take seriously pouring into your child's God-given identity, there are others who will be happy to take your job. Someone might ask, why now? What, what, why is the devil trying this at this hour? There's really two reasons why I believe he's really on this agenda at this hour. First of all, we are living in the last days. This is his final throw, and he does not want people, young people, identifying as Jesus-loving, child of God, because I believe in these last days, God is going to raise up a generation. That's his heart of people who are running hard after their God that he can anoint in a mighty way. And he's trying to steal that opportunity from them. 
The same book of Daniel that we just looked at a few minutes ago where uh, the Babylonians tried to steal Daniel's identity. Daniel wrote these words about the last gods. But the people that do know their God shall be strong and do exploits. And that word exploits means they're going to do amazing, incredible, spirit-led things in the last days. Come on, somebody. How many believe there is great hope for this generation? Because what the enemy tries for evil, God is able to turn it around and use it for good. I believe that. I have hope in this generation. Amen? So the first reason the devil is trying this now is because he's in the second, it's, it's the last days. And secondly, the brokenness of people in today's world has opened the door. The more family dysfunction the less a child understands who they really are. And if you don't know who you really are, then you're open to someone's suggestion about who you might be. Understand that. You say, but pastor, it's what I feel. If you haven't figured this out yet, your feelings can be manipulated. Your mind can be filled with things that aren't true. Let me say it again. You are who God says you are. And when the devil loved to peg on you, alcoholic, drug addict, non-binary, whatever it is, just some label that you believe it's who you are. Now, just so everybody understands, according to our current culture, this is not my position, this is what our culture is saying. Our current culture says your sex is how you are born. And everyone is born either male or female. But your gender, according to our current culture, says your gender is how you feel on the inside. So you could be born a male, but feel like you are something else. And there are, again, 72 pronouns you can choose from to describe that. Now, there are many stereotypes of what a male and a female is. Perhaps the most basic stereotype, you can help me with this one, right? Boys like trucks and girls like Dolls, all right? That's just a, a general stereotype. And I want to I just say something because this is, this is very important. Just because your daughter doesn't like dolls, would rather play baseball, and does not enjoy dolling herself up, does not mean that she is not fully female. Just because your son is very uncoordinated, is more conversational than your average guy, does not mean he is not fully male. One of the things that's happened is our culture is trying to grab uh, people who don't fit in the mold and say, well, then you must not be who you are. Come on, how many know there's a lot of latitude for what a female is or what a male, what a male is? And we need to affirm that in spite of the fact. I'll give you an example. In the Bible, two brothers, Jacob and Esau. Okay, who was the manly man? Esau, man, he was hairy all over. Loved to hunt. I mean, he was, he was the outdoor boy. I mean, he was the, Jacob hung around mom's skirt tails. But Jacob was still a mighty man of God. And God used him in great ways, even though he might not have fit the stereotype. You understand my point? Yeah, yeah, it's important that you would affirm your children in the right way, even if they don't quite fit the stereotype. So what does the Bible say about sex and gender? Well, in the very beginning, the first chapter of the Bible, God tells us this in Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, this is, I'm going to say this a lot of times today, but this, this is important. Listen. 
So according to this verse, in my understanding, there are certain things about a man that represent the image of God, perhaps strength and some other things. There are certain characteristics that a woman has that speaks to the image of God, perhaps tenderness, a compassion in a greater way than some men. Together, you put those together, you have a pretty good image of what God is like. A male represents certain things about God. A female represents certain things about God, okay? If you seek to blur the image of male and female, you are messing with the image and the glory of God. That's another reason the devil is pushing it at this hour because how many of you know he does not want God being glorified or people understanding who God is? Amen? Please, don't take this lightly. Amen? Now, a question someone might ask, even the Bible makes it plain that there are only two sexes. Does the Bible give room for a variation of gender identities? And the answer to that is, the Bible does, the Bible does not separate Sex and gender identity. If you are born a male, then you are a man. If you are born a female, then you are a woman. I got ahead of myself, but Deuteronomy chapter 22 actually forbids cross-dressing because God drew a line there saying, if you're a man, don't go over to that side. You're a man. If you don't fit the stereotype, you're still a man. Amen? Now, there are a very small percentage of people who are born with gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria means that you're a little mixed up over who you are. It's a two-year-old who might say, I feel like I'm a, a girl trapped in a boy's body, all right? Uh, Black's Medical Dictionary says that happens in one in every 30,000 males and one in every 100,000 females, okay? Very, very small percentage. That being said, why is there a much larger percentage, particularly of young people, particularly of Generation Z, that struggle with gender dysphoria, even though quite obviously they weren't born that way? The answer is somebody is having an impression on them. Somebody is having influence over them. A, a term that is relatively new in the medical field is Rapid onset gender dysphoria, known as ROGB. And that means you may have a child that has never, never struggled. They, they, they always knew they were a boy or a girl. They were okay with that. And one day they walk through the door and they say, I think I'm, boom, some new definition. Rapid onset. In other words, it happens very rapidly. Well, friend, that didn't happen on its own. Some friend, some person, created a seed of doubt in them that opened them up to it. You hear what I'm saying? And that's what we're seeing happen in our culture. A center in London that deals with gender dysphoria. In 2009, they treated 17 females who wanted to transition. In 2019, only 10 years later, they treated 1,740 females who wanted to transition. What's the difference? Come on, the devil is serious about stealing identities. One more thing before we give you some points on what to do with what we're talking about today. Unfortunately, our medical community is leaning towards giving hormones to children or teenagers who are struggling with gender, who say they're struggling with gender dysphoria. And 
puberty blockers. And here's what's crazy about that. It is a known fact that a large percentage, 80 to 90% of children who struggle with gender dysphoria will snap out of it when they go through or not long after they go through puberty. So if you know that most children are not going to struggle with gender dysphoria once they go through puberty, why would you put them on puberty blockers? It doesn't make a lick of sense, except there's a diabolical plan from a spiritual force we call the devil that's working behind the scenes. Amen? All right, listen. To give a 16-year-old hormone treatments, which is life-altering, the long-term effects are not yet known. And to even go further and allow them to have surgery and permanently alter who they are, taking away from them the ability to ever have children is nothing short of child abuse. I read of a teenage female who began taking testosterone treatment. She was, she was a little later, maybe 18, 19. Went to the doctor. Within one hour, a one-hour consultation, she was given a prescription for testosterone. Doctor didn't ask her about her mental health. Why? Just one hour. Okay, you're sure you want to do this. She's given a prescription. She starts taking testosterone for two years. Suddenly, she finds herself getting really angry. Okay? Uh, uh, she wants to cry, but she can't cry. Why? Because those, those testosterone is messing with who she is. You understand? Uh, then she finds herself really angry and miserable. She stated that it really messed with her mental health. She decides to transition back to a female. And here is her quote. No one told me the side effects of putting testosterone in my own body. They just gave me the prescription. In the state of Oregon, you can transition at, eight, at age 15 without parental consent. Listen, for a legislator to believe that a 15-year-old has the capacity to make the kind of decision that is life-altering is nothing short of irresponsible and reprehensible. Do I have compassion for people who struggle with gender dysphoria? I do. This message in no way is intended to belittle with anyone who struggles with their identity. I'm not trying to minimize the reality of that struggle. The truth is brokenness manifests itself in many ways. Are you listening? But can I tell you something I know for sure today? No matter what your struggle is, Jesus is the answer. Come on, somebody. Jesus is the answer. On the cross... The Bible says Jesus was unrecognizable. His identity couldn't be known. In other words, if, if you just saw Jesus a couple days before the cross and then you just happened to walk by, you would not have known that Jesus was in the middle of those three crosses. He was unrecognizable. And you know what that says to me? Say what, Pastor? He lost his identity so that he could give you back yours, friend. Are you hearing what I'm saying? He was unrecognizable so that you could be recognizable and so that you could take off yourself the labels that the world has put on you and you could say, I know that I'm his child and I'm his. Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda and asked a strange question to a man who had been sick for 38 years. He said to that man, do you want to be whole? I remember as a young Christian, I read that. I'm like, what kind of question is that? 
been sick for 38 years. Then, I, then, then someone helped me with that. They said, well, you know, if you've been sick for 38 years, you kind of take on the identity of a sick person. There might be certain benefits to being a sick person. You don't have to work. That's your life. That's all you know. might not be good to us, but to him, it's all you know. And I say to you today, do you want to be made whole? Maybe you've worn identity for a long time, but I don't want to underestimate the ability of the Jesus that I serve, friend, to make you a brand new creation. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 5 says this, May God himself, the God who makes everything, that includes everyone, holy and whole, make you holy and whole, put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our master, Jesus Christ, the one who called you is completely dependable, If he said it, help me, church. Come on, we're going to try that again, a little louder. If he said it, he will. Amen. Three things. Whether you're a parent in the room, a parent to be, a grandparent. Three things I want you to walk away with today. First of all, please be informed. You need to know what your child is watching on TV. You need to know what they're looking at on their cell phones and tablets. It's well worth the $15 a month to install an app like NetNanny or Canopy that will prevent them from going places you don't want them to go. You need to know who they are hanging out with. Show me their friends, I will show you their future. You need to know what they are being taught in school. It's totally appropriate considering it's your tax dollars that are paying for the curriculum to say to the teacher, I'd like to know if there is a curriculum being used concerning sex and identity on my kindergartner. Now let me add this. When you go, please go in kindness. All right? Please deal with people in kindness. Your child's teacher is not your enemy. They may not want to even be teaching the lesson, but they may be told they have to. I don't know. All right? But, but go, go in kindness. How many know you can be, I, I, I found, I, I live my life this way. I'm kindly persistent. When it comes to something that, that I feel like God wants me to do, I'm not going to be rude to you to, to, to get my way, but I can be kindly persistent. You, you understand? Especially if I know God wants to do something. So I would be kindly persistent with the teacher. Uh, let them know you're not your enemy. You appreciate them, all right? And if your teacher says, well, I'm not privy to that, or I don't know if I can tell you, then kindly go to the principal. Come on, somebody. Work, work your way up till you get that information. 2 Timothy 2 says this. The Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be, help me, kind to everyone, able to teach, not respectful. Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to a knowledge of the truth. What this is saying is not only are you going to represent your child, but you're also being a witness to that teacher, how you handle it so that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Amen? Secondly, you need to not only be informed, which has to do with knowing what's coming into your child's life, you need to be involved in your child's life so they will feel comfortable talking to you about what is going on in their life. Amen? This has to do with communicating with your kids. You say, well, Pastor, I, I love them so much. I don't know anybody that doesn't love your kids, but loving your kids doesn't automatically mean you're going to have a good relationship with them. In order to have a good relationship, love plus time spent with them equals relationship. Also, it's more important than ever 
that you take responsibility to have the talk with them. Can I tell you how awkward it was when my dad had the talk with me? Say, go ahead, Pastor. I was 15 years old, down in the basement. I think we were, ready to, we were getting ready to go out hunting. That's, my dad was a big hunter. That's something we did together. I think we were putting on our hunting clothes, and he's, my dad looks at me, and he's like, uh, I, I think I just want to talk to you about, you, you know, you know. No, I don't know. The birds and the bees. And this isn't word for word. This is kind of paraphrase how it went. Uh, Can I answer any questions you might have? I think I'm good, Dad. And my dad said, okay, then. And that was our talk. All right? Uh, um, How many of you, maybe they're a little older, had you look back and you say it was rather awkward? Okay? Listen, parents in today's world, you've got to do better. You got to do better because ultimately, ultimately you want your influence to come before the influences of this world. Amen. Uh, My Luke just turned nine a couple weeks ago and I'm probably a little behind me. We've had some talks in general about things, but uh, I'm looking for the opportunity to to do things a little deeper because I want to stay ahead of that. It's important that you be involved. Can you say amen? And lastly, it's important that you be in charge. I'm not talking about being a dictator. I'm not talking about screaming and yelling. I'm talking about taking responsibility to be a parent that God has called you to be. Amen? And I know it's not Father's Day yet, but I'm going to take the early opportunity. All right, listen. Where are you, dads? Wave at me if you're out there. and You're, you're a father. All right, listen. Our culture has done much to steal manhood from men. You might call it, I had trouble pronouncing this in the first, the first, uh, uh, the feminization of our culture. I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, making men look like bumbling idiots on, on, on shows and different things to, to steal that from them, okay? But what our culture is attempting to do doesn't change what God has called you to do, men. And God has called you to lead your family in the ways of God, to bring them to the house of God, to lead the way in spiritual matters, to affirm the young men of your household to be men, the young ladies to be ladies. Come on, somebody. Your role, man, has a huge effect on the identity of your children, what you choose to do. And if you're the head of a household, you're a female, a single mom, you, you have to assume that role, and God wants to help you. Amen? God has called you to lead the way. Your children need more than a friend. They need a parent because they're not mature enough to figure it out. How, how many of you can remember what, what you were when you were 15? How many of you wouldn't want to go back there? You know, kind of the age when you begin to think you know something but you don't know as much as you think you do? Come on. And then our culture says to a 15-year-old, as I mentioned, in Oregon, you're old enough to decide your sexual identity. It's craziness. But it's a call to make sure parents know what's going on and lead the way. Amen? And listen, if you are struggling today in this house with your sexual identity, I want to point you to Jesus. You are not who you feel you are. You may not be who you think you are, but you are. 
who the God who created you says you are. A great price was paid so that you could wear the label as a son or a daughter of God. Precious blood was shed so that you could be forgiven and chains could be broken. And you could assume the, the, the identity that God wants you to have. Come on. He has the grace and the power to heal and restore. I admonish you to not run from him, but to run to him. Can you say amen? All of us, listen, and and those of you who are helping with worship, would you come? We're almost done. All of us from the day we were born, we walk a road where, because we don't know the Lord, we are being influenced by culture. We are being influenced by the devil, and he's telling us all kinds of things that aren't true, and we may be wearing labels, alcoholic, drug addict, whatever else, uh, cisgender, any kind of label. And here's what the Bible says you have to do to be saved. You have to repent. Everybody say repent. And believe. Repentance involves turning. Turning away from and turning to. Turning away from the labels this world has put on you and the sin this world has done. And turning to Jesus, the one who holds your real identity. And if you'll trust him, he is faithful to do what he said he would do. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. Don't run from Jesus. Help me, church. Run to him. Matthew 16, and I'll close with this passage. Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life, your, your, your world identity, for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What's the answer to that? Say no. Would you you bow your heads and hearts in this place? I want to pray for you. Then when I'm done praying, I'm going to give the opportunity, and I I hope you'll take me up on this opportunity, to come to this altar and just say to the Lord, God, I'm so glad that you have showed me your true identity. I'm so glad to be your son. I'm so glad to be your daughter. If you're here in this place and you don't currently wear that identity because you've never opened the door of your heart and asked Jesus to come in, that can change today. He will stamp upon you. Come on. For as many as received him, to them gave he power to become sons of God, even to those who believe on his name. That's his call to you. I believe it can happen this morning. Lord, I pray for parents in the house today, God. If ever they needed your wisdom and your help in raising their children, it's right now, Father. Let them receive, God, the word that was spoken today and give them wisdom and give them grace. Lord, I pray for teens in the house today. God, might they look to you for their identity and not this world. Thank you, Lord, for opening our eyes. Bless us now, Lord. Now listen, as we move into altar time and I encourage people to come forward, we're not gonna have an official close to the service when you feel like God's done with you. God bless you, have a great day. But I want everybody to stand and I want you to do this. Would you get out of your seat and come to this altar and just thank God? Who knows what any of us would be apart from him finding us at some point in our life. Would you just come say, God, I'm so glad. I'm so grateful to be your son or your daughter. 
If you're struggling today, you come. Might God do something at this altar? If you need the Lord today, might you come? God can do a miracle.